Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We move right into our text this morning. And as we enter into our text, I want to invite you. I'm sorry I shouldn't have had you sit again, but would you please stand with me one more time out of respect for God's word? And we are going to read together Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. So church, read with me this morning. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Amen. You may go ahead and have a seat. My question is, have you memorized Colossians 1, 9 through 12 yet? Like, that's the goal. Uh, I'm hoping you're getting there. And even as we pray this prayer, I'm hoping that you've taken this prayer and it's become a prayer you can pray for your families and your spouses and those that you know, because this is such a beautiful prayer. And we've been in it for a while because it's so foundational for everything that goes on the rest of the book of Colossians. Now, I promise we won't be taking this much time to get through the rest of the book of Colossians, although we probably could because there's so much depth there. But this is such a beautiful start to just help us understand what the goal, what the heart is behind Paul as he's writing this. And it's fascinating because uh, as we were praying and planning through this text, oftentimes we get to Thanksgiving week and you have the question of like, okay, do we want to do a standalone and bring something else in? But this text was there uh, for this week, this, this back half of verse 12, which says, Paul wants us to give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And I was just like, God, thank you for letting that be the text for Thanksgiving weekend. It's a perfect one for us. And so my prayer for you, and and I'll just be honest, frankly, even for myself this morning and this week, is that this would stir our hearts to a deeper thanksgiving in the Lord and and towards the Lord. And so can we just pray for that together this morning as we jump in? Father, I just thank you for this morning. Uh, We are grateful that we can come and be here. Father, I want to pray that as we discuss these things and we talk about these things and we look into your word and what it has for us, that, Lord, you would stir our hearts to thankfulness and praise for who you are and what you've done. Wherever we are this morning, Whether we came in this morning a little faint-hearted, maybe feeling a little discouraged, maybe just a little down this morning, even feeling some of that myself as I've walked in and prepared this morning, or those that are coming in with just rejoicing hearts, regardless, Father, may we, our, our eyes be fixed upon you and may we be stirred to thank you and be thankful for you and all that you have done. That is our prayer this morning. And so please work through this weak vessel. Please work through your spirit in our lives, opening our eyes and our hearts to you in all that you have for us today. And I pray all these things in your name. Amen. I really believe that if you're here this morning or you're listening online this morning, like God has something for you because he always has something for us when we open up his words because it's his revelation to us as his people. 
And I want to start by illuminating for us the reasons why in this prayer that we as God's people should be giving thanks. And the first thing that I think should stir our hearts to thankfulness that's here in this prayer is that we as the people of God have a beautiful inheritance. Now, I think we all know what an inheritance is, but I think it's good for us to be mindful of that. That inheritance is typically something that's of great value that's passed down from a parent or a grandparent to another generation. Uh, so this could be money, it could be land, it could be a piece of furniture that has a lot of memories, uh, some dishes. Uh, I don't know, it could be a lot of different things, but it's something of great value that holds a lot of uh, purpose and memory and, and a lot of just importance into a life or into who a person is that we pass down. I think in my family, once I'm gone, the, probably the two things that my kids are going to fight over the most are my Bible and my camera stuff. Because those two things are so important to who I am. And they'll see me use those things for my whole life. And so this is what an inheritance is. It's something of great value passed down that people want to engage in. And Paul talks about the fact that we, as his people, as God's people, have an inheritance. And, and he specifically says that we're sharing in an inheritance with the saints of light. Now, what is that? Who are the saints of light? Well, this is the Jewish nation. These are all the people who came before that they have found the promises of God. So all of the promises of the Old Testament to the people of God, the Jewish people of God, all of those promises, all of them, have now been found true and said yes to in Jesus Christ. All of those promises. And the beauty of this is, and what Paul is saying, is that that's not just for the Jewish people, that we who are not Jewish people because of Christ have now been grafted into that, and we too now have the same inheritance. And our inheritance is the faithfulness of God to all of those promises that he made to his people throughout the Old Testament. So anybody who would say the Old Testament is unimportant for us misses the beauty of all that God has done in the Old Testament in making his promises to his people. This is a beautiful thing. These promises are extended to us and they are part of our, your, my inheritance. The first of those is a promise for a place. Now, I don't mean a geographical place here, although we're going to get to that. What I mean is a belonging. Do you know that one of the reasons that Paul was saved and one of the reasons that Paul was sent out into the mission that he was, was to tell the Gentile nations that they have a place among the people of God. This is what happens in Acts chapter 26, verse 18, when Paul is recounting God's call upon his life. He says this, he says that God told him that he was being sent to open up their eyes, that's the Gentiles' eyes, so that they might turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified, set apart by faith in me, being Jesus. This is part of our inheritance, to have a place of belonging among those who are set apart by God. In other biblical terms, let me just help us understand what this place looks like. You have a place among the beloved, his beloved. You have a place among those in whom he delights in. 
You have a place among those whom God, the maker of all things, is for, not against. You have a place among his family. You have a place among his redeemed. This is part of our inheritance. I look around this world and I see people all over the place grasping to try to find a place to belong. Somewhere, someone, a group of people, a community of people, constantly striving and grasping to belong to something, to some part or some cause or some individual group to just simply hear someone say, like, I'm glad you're here. You're mine. I've got your back. Just the way you are, you can be a part of what is going on here. People are grasping for this all over the place. Many of us have felt this. I'm here to echo Paul's message to you. With faith in Jesus comes belonging to his people. An eternal people. And this promise, this inheritance, it is not fickle with ideologies or with people coming and going. It is as stable as as the character of God is stable. And it is trustworthy as the faithfulness of God is as trustworthy. And this is more valuable than anything in this world we could have. Anything in this world that we could find. And he has said, I want you to be a part of my family. To be my set apart ones when we were not. Like we could stop there and that would be enough for us to be thankful. And yet there's a lot more. So not only does he say that we have this inheritance, but we also have a promise, an inheritance of life and righteousness. Now here's the thing. There's a big difference between existence and life, isn't there? Everybody exists. Everybody who is born exists. And once you're born, you're going to exist eternally for all time, for everything to come, for every moment to come, uh, the rest of history. Like, your soul now becomes immortal as God has created that soul. And you exist, but not everybody has life. God didn't make us to simply just exist. He made us to live. He made us to have life. Good and joyous and beautiful and eternal life in his presence, glorifying him being faithful to what he has called us to be. But we know with sin in the mix, that has made our existence not life-giving, but our existence full of all kinds of other things. Toil and hardship and pain and sorrow and death and aches and pains. Like, like our existence is full of all kinds of other things that God didn't in- intend. That doesn't mean we don't have moments of happiness from here and there. But even those moments of happiness outside of Christ, they're fleeting, aren't they? Like they only last for a while, like they're temporal. Like so you get them and then they, they fade away like a mist. This isn't life. This isn't life. Everyone lives, but not everyone truly has life. That's a little brave hearty for those of you who remember. But anyway, some of you don't know what I'm talking about. But God has called us to experience life. Why? Because that's what he's made us for. But we can't because we aren't in right relationship with him. And so not only do we have the promise of life, but with that comes the promise of righteousness. See, because you can't find life without living rightly in him, in his presence, 
with him and the way he asks us and calls us to. This is righteousness, something none of us have except through Jesus. See, with Jesus and in Jesus, we can be counted righteous. We aren't righteous, but we can be counted as righteous. And then with that, we as his people can begin even now to experience the abundant life and the hope of life the way that it was meant to be. Where does this inheritance rest? You know, it's with Jesus. It sits with Jesus right now. This stirs Peter to thankfulness. In 1 Peter chapter 1, listen to what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You hear the thankfulness? According to his great mercy, not according to your great worth, not according to your great value, not according to your great goodness, not according to your great religion, but according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, not a dead hope, but a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and is kept in heaven for us. Do I need to read it again? Like this is a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is our inheritance. It's imperishable. It's an imperishable life. Not, not just an existence, but an unbreakable joy in living in the presence of God that he has given to us through Jesus. It's an imperishable righteousness. You know, right now you're counted righteous. You will be made righteous once he raises us from the dead and brings us into, into heaven. Like right now, that righteousness sits with Jesus. And that's imperishable, undefiled life undefiled by death, pain, suffering, misplaced longing, sicknesses, toils, an undefiled righteousness of our very own to be full and complete and clean, no longer counted righteous, but given righteousness, unfading life. It's never going to get gray there. No Eeyores in heaven. Some of you know who Eeyore is. I'm glad there. That one made sense. It's like, there's no Eeyores in heaven. You get a gift from the Lord in heaven and it will never lose its shine. It will never become gray because our, our hearts will be placed in the right place for satisfaction, not in that thing. Undefiled, unfading. And this is a beautiful part of our inheritance. But that's not it. We also have the promise of an immortal tent. You won't be a spirit floating around into nothingness. You will be given, I will be given, immortal, fleshly body capable of pleasure and joy and singing and feasting. Can you imagine what this is going to be like? An unimmortal tent. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1-4. through four. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, that's this, is destroyed... We have a building from God. So go back to that bullet point. It shouldn't be an immortal tent. It should be an immortal building. An earthly home is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, 
longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if we indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. So there's a ton there. Let me paraphrase. Any of you feel the groaning of this? Like you wake up this morning and you wake up and get out of bed and go, ugh. Like if you're above the age of 20, <laughs> 2, 23, right? I did leg day a couple, yesterday. I could barely get out of bed this morning. Like, like we groan. We feel this groaning. And what this scripture tells us is this immortal groaning flesh is going to be swallowed up with a building that is immortal. Like fleshly building. Like this is, our, this is our inheritance, a perfect flesh. Jesus already has one, by the way. He wasn't raised up to a spirit. He was raised up to be spirit and body. He ate with his disciples after the resurrection. He walked with his disciples after the resurrection. He could pass through walls too, so that's pretty cool. Right? So maybe we get that. But Jesus is given flesh, and we too will be given an immortal flesh. Don't miss our inheritance with the world's view of us like floating around in some ethereal cloud for heaven. It is real, and it is tangible. Man, we should look forward to it, and it's beautiful. But it doesn't stop there. Our inheritance, the promise for us as his people, is also the kingdom of God. In short, and i got to pick up the pace here, I know that, but your, your inheritance is going to be ruled and governed fully in righteousness and justice with a good king. There will be no hint of injustice or distrust. No wrong motives from leaders worried about re-election or holding on to their power. No failed policies. No bad economics. All of that's gone. You may look forward to that. I do. Anybody look forward to the day there's no more going to be a Democrat and Republican and Independent? No longer is there going to be Fox and MSNBC or conservative and liberal. Liberal, There will be one underneath, one king, and he will be good. And we won't look for re-election because we won't want anybody else to sit on that throne. This is the kingdom of God. This is our inheritance. Can we be thankful for that? Guess what? It doesn't stop there. Like, there's more. He's promised to us a land. Now, for the saints of old, they believed it was Israel, the, the physical geographical land of Israel. And they believed that once they got into Israel, they would find rest. Did they? No. See, what they found out was that was a shadow of the real land which is to come, the real rest which is to come, a rest that is given to us in Revelation 21, which speaks of a new heaven and a new earth, a new ge geographical and tangible place for us to live. A place with dirt and trees and sky and animals for us to enjoy in his presence. To finally experience our purpose and potential, we are heirs of these things. Heirs of these things place, life and righteousness, an immortal building, the kingdom of God, and the promised land. Are we thankful for this? And what makes us even more thankful for this is, is getting to the question of qualification. 
How do you qualify for such a wonderful inheritance? How do you qualify for this inheritance? See, when we are interviewing it for a job or we are, are trying to win a prize somewhere, there's a list of qualifications that tend to come with that, right? Like a t- list of qualifications based on your skills, your age, your education, a product that you purchased before. And so to be able to get this, you have to do this. You have to qualify for a particular thing or in a particular way. And if you don't qualify, then they take your application and they set it aside and you're left outside. You're left outside of that that employment. You're left outside of that gift or that prize. Like you don't qualify for it. Paul ties his prayer for thankfulness not only to the inheritance, but also to the qualification. The Colossians had met the qualifications. They weren't going to be left outside. Church, don't, don't miss this. There's only two places inside of his inheritance and outside of his inheritance. That's it. And you have to qualify to get inside. So are you on the outside or do you have a reason to be thankful this weekend? Have you been qualified? How does that even happen? I want to look at that this morning because a great deal of our thankfulness should be tied to our qualification. First, he makes the insufficient sufficient. The Greek word that Paul uses for qualification means sufficiency. So reading it that way, we would be giving thanks to the Father who has made you sufficient. When the desire comes to want the inheritance and we say, man, I want that inheritance and I I want to have the hope of all of those things. How can we become sufficient to be heirs of those? Answer, you can't. You can't. To become sufficient, to become an heir to this beautiful inheritance, you have to be a son or a daughter. None of us are that son or daughter by nature. We're only the son and daughter of the enemy and this world. Or or maybe you could do something to be worthy of the Father granting and giving you the title of son. Maybe you could be good enough. You can't. There's only one worthy of the title, son of God. His name is Jesus. Like this is our insufficiency. And yet, he has made us sufficient. We are always going to fall short. We will always be insufficient. We will always be disqualified. The Father knew this, and so did the Son. And so as our text says, he makes us sufficient by faith in his redeeming work on the cross. By faith in his resurrection, by faith in his life, by faith and trust that he knows how to qualify us, he has made us sufficient. You don't earn it. You can't argue for it. You can't be good enough for it. You can't be religious enough for it. You can't beg your way into it. You can't be made sufficient. This is what separates Christian faith from Islam and Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses is they're going to try to make themselves sufficient. We don't because our sufficiency is in Jesus and Jesus alone. He makes you sufficient to qualify for the inheritance. 
But he doesn't just make us sufficient. He turns the slave into a conqueror. Scripture is abundantly clear. We read it this morning out of Galatians. We sang a song about it, that prior to faith in Jesus, we are all slaves to sin and death. This is the one thing that we can do without even trying. That's sin. You cut us, we bleed it. We speak, it comes out of our mouths. It's part of our nature. Slaves don't inherit things from the Father. We know that. So how do you go from slave to sonship? You know how? You have to get adopted. You have to be adopted. People wonder why Karen and I are always so passionate about adoption. It's not just because we love kids. It's because this is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Taking that who was not a son or daughter and bringing them into the family of God and making them a son or a daughter. Through Jesus' death, He who knew no sin became sin for us. He paid the debt. He paid the cost to redeem us, to free us, and to pay for our adoption. He brought us back. Man, if you haven't put your faith in him yet, there is no debt that you have. His blood is not sufficient to take care of. If you're sitting here this morning, but man, I would love to have that inheritance, but there's no way God could ever forgive me. You are listening to the lie of the enemy. His blood is sufficient to adopt all who would put their faith in him. And he redeems us not only, and doesn't only does he make us sons and daughters, but he makes us conquerors. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory in Jesus. We are qualified because he has redeemed us, and he has gained the victory for us. Hear me, not through us, for us. He gained the victory not through us, but for us. He didn't gain the victory mostly with a little bit of our help. Some people live that way, don't they? He gained the victory for us and he plucked us up and set us into the family of God and said, my son, my daughter, a conqueror because I was victorious. Lastly, how do we qualify? We need to understand that this is a completed work. I don't typically go like Greek nerd on us, but the word for qualified in this prayer is in the aorist tense and you say, who cares? Well, here's why it matters. By using this tent, Paul is reminding the people of Colossae and us today, this action of God through Jesus is done. It is done. It is finished. Your qualification, if you have put your faith in Jesus, is written literally in blood in the Lamb's book of life. You know why that's awesome? There's no magic eraser to take it out. Like you ever hear the accusation that the enemy's going to sneak up behind you and erase your name out of the book of life? Like I, I, I hear that accusation. There's nothing that can erase your name once it's in there. Like this is a beautiful thing. It is completed. It is done. It is finished. Your qualification is sealed. It doesn't matter if you mess up tomorrow. It's sealed. It's done. This is wonderful. And as a result of these things, we should be giving thanks. Give thanks this Thanksgiving because he's fully, finally, and completely qualified 
all of those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ this morning to become heirs, to gain an inheritance of a place of life and righteousness that is undefiled, unfading, an immortal building to live in, a kingdom that is promised, a land that will be granted to us. So this week, when you sit around that Thanksgiving table, be reminded what you really have, what you really have. Nothing at that table is as profound as is our inheritance. Nothing at that table is better than what we have in store for us. It's all a shadow. Now, I'm not saying don't be thankful for it because a good turkey is good. But just know it's a shadow. It's a shadow of what is to come. And so if this is true, this changes our entire outlook on our lives. I want to read a quote from Kevin DeYoung out of a book called Hole in Our Holiness. And I know the words are small, but nonetheless. If we are heirs to the whole world, let's just ask that question. If we are heirs to the whole world, why should we envy? If we are God's treasured possession, why be jealous? If God is our Father, why be afraid? If we are dead to sin, why live in it? If we, are being, if we have been raised with Christ, why continue in our old sinful ways? If we are seated in the heavenly places, why act like the devil of hell? If we are loved with an everlasting love, why are we trying to prove our worth to this world? If Christ is in all and in all, why am I so preoccupied with myself? Listen, church, because we are qualified, because we have an inheritance, we should be the freest people in this world. Like, you should have nothing you should envy, nothing you should covet, nothing to be jealous about, nothing to try to prove, because he's done it all. Wait, did you hear what I said? You have nothing to prove to this world. It doesn't matter whether you're attractive or unattractive. It doesn't matter whether you're smart or not the smartest. It doesn't matter any of it. If you have faith in Jesus, you have an inheritance that is immortal and eternal. It is qualified. You are qualified. You're done. Like, you're, you're done. And so this week, like, let's give thanks. It's not based upon your circumstance. That's the world's way of giving thanks, isn't it? If my circumstances is good, then I'll give thanks. It doesn't matter whether your circumstance is good or bad because you have an eternal rock, an eternal hope that is living, that will never fade and will never be defiled and will never perish. It's not based on your circumstance. And so church, give thanks this week. Give thanks with your lips. Praise him. Sing to him. Tell others of him. Tell your kids of all the things that he has done. Let's be ridiculous with our thanksgiving. When someone says to you, happy Thanksgiving, you say, man, amen, because I've been redeemed. Like, let it just come off of your lips. I was uh, walking out of the gym yesterday, or, yeah, I guess it was yesterday, and I opened up the door for a guy, and, and he said, well, you're a good man. And you know what I was able to say? No, I'm not. I'm redeemed. He had no idea what to say, and frankly, I didn't know what to say after it, right? So he just said bye, and we went on the way, right? But my point is, like, should we not be constantly thankful? Like, let it be on our lips because you've been redeemed, because you have an inheritance. Like, give thanks with your lips. Give thanks with your lives. What more can you offer up than your life as an offering, a sacrifice of praise to our God?
if he has done all of this so that we could have an eternal inheritance, why not give him the temporal time we have here? This is a mist, brothers and sisters. It's a mist. I, I remember when my parents were my age and I thought, man, they're old. Like it's a mist, it goes really fast. It goes really fast. So why not give all of this, all of our lives for him in thanksgiving? Not just the church you. Isn't it the temptation? I'll give him Sunday. I'll give him a little bit of time on Wednesday. I'll maybe give him a little bit of time in the morning to read his Bible. No, no, give him everything with your lives. As an offering of thanksgiving, Jesus, I'm yours today and I'm so grateful for all that you've done. So give him thanks with your lips, give thanks with your lives, and give thanks with your finances. Let your treasure be where your heart is with him. Let us give thanks to him with our earthly treasure. Let the grip of material wealth lose its grasp upon us because no matter how much you have, you're going to give it to someone else anyway. So why not give it to the kingdom now and store up for yourself treasures in heavens? Listen, this isn't about giving to the church, though that's important. This is about us understanding one of the greatest idols for most of us in, the Amer- in America is our money. Why wouldn't we give it in thanks to him? Only spend it for him, spend it for his glory. So give thanks this week. Give thanks with your lips and your lives and with your finances. I want to end this morning. I pray as you came in today, if you know Jesus, my whole hope and desire this morning is you walk out going, man, we have a lot to be thankful for. I'm not trying to discount some of you are grieving. Some of you have difficult things, difficult circumstances, difficult pains. But brothers and sisters, all of that, all of that is small in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that we have for us in Christ Jesus. And I want you to have that hope this week as you, as you give thanks for all of the things that God has done. Because it's not tied to your, your, your circumstance. It's tied to that truth. And I need to be reminded of that sometimes. I need to have my heart reminded of that and stirred towards that kind of thanksgiving. And so I pray that that is the case for you this morning. If you are not a believer in Jesus this morning, I want to just tell you, and I don't mean this to be negative, but you're on the outside of this inheritance. You can't qualify on your own. And if anything that I have said this morning stirs in your heart and you feel like, man, I would love that. I would love to belong. I would love to have uh, an eternal inheritance like the things he's talking about. And you just simply don't know what to do with that. But if there's anything in you that is stirred in your heart, don't leave without talking to somebody this morning. Because my desire for you, I think everybody in this room who knows Jesus, for you this morning is that you would walk out and you would come to Thanksgiving with a whole new perspective. That you should truly be thankful for not how much money you have in the bank or how much food is on the table, but you would be thankful because of what Jesus Christ has done and the grace he's given to you. And so this morning, if you don't know Jesus, I plead with you to to consider giving your life to him this morning. 
to placing your trust and your faith in the only one who is eternal. And he's the only one who's died and raised from the dead. Muhammad didn't. Like, neither is anybody else. Jesus. That's it. Died and raised. Our evidence is there. Father, my prayer is this morning that you would help us to have thankful hearts. It's not about feeling and it's not about emotion. It's about being anchored and rooted in the truths that you have given to us, the promises which we have inherited through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, for all who are your sons and daughters, anchor our hearts to this hope, this thanksgiving. Father, for any who do not know you, that are in this room, that are listening online, Lord, I pray that they would, that they would cast themselves upon your grace. I pray, Lord, that they would come to you in faith this morning. I pray, Lord, that they would confess and say, I don't qualify, but I know you can qualify me. I pray, Lord, that they would catch that and that your spirit, you would convict them of their sin, which separates them from you. Father, we thank you for these truths. We thank you for this hope. 